talk about when we talk about giving. And as you heard when, during our time of offering, there's three words that we like to use about giving here at Discovery. We say that we are uh, missional, that we are worshipful, and that we are sacrificial. And if you haven't been with us the past couple of weeks, um, Steve has shared with us a bit about what it means to be missional in our giving and worshipful. You can hear those sermons on the app, but you can also, just to briefly recap a little bit, it's being missional is really about sharing the good news of Jesus and what he's done on our behalf. And it's really about connecting this up to grace. So when we give, then we can expect that this will be leading towards the mission that God has put in place for this area, for this people, for this time. To be worshipful with our giving, worship is really our primary response to the good news of Jesus. So it is something that we do on an individual basis and also on a corporate basis in order to be able to say, I want to worship Jesus. I want to respond to the good news of who he is and what he has done in our lives. And we're going to build on that a little further today to talk about what it means to be sacrificial. And you'll find that to be sacrificial is not separate or distinct from being worshipful or missional, but that they actually all interplay quite a bit. So um, if you have a Bible, you'll want to take that out. And we'll, our main text that we'll be in today is in Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. We will kind of jump around to a few places. Um, if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We have someone who would love to come and bring you a Bible, and then you can uh, track along with us. And this is something that you can keep and continue to track with us throughout the week. It's also available on the Discovery Christian Church app. Now, when I think about being sacrificial, one great example that really illustrates this in my mind is the classic children's story by Shel Silverstein called The Giving Tree. How many of you have read this book before? That's a lot of hands. That's great. How many of you, I should probably ask it this way, how many of you have had someone read this book to you before? Maybe a parent or somebody, right? Uh, as a parent myself, I can remember reading this, and I remember having this read to me. I'm glad to see so many people are familiar with this story, but to recap for those who maybe have uh, never read it or have forgotten a little bit, we have two characters, and this story is about a relationship between those two characters. There's a boy and there's a tree. And in this story, it says that the tree loves the boy. And as the boy is young, he likes to spend a lot of time with this tree, and he eats the apples and swings from the branches and does all this fun stuff. But as he grows older and he comes back to the tree, each successive time he comes back, the tree is happy to see him, but the boy has grown up, and he now has had his desires shifted, and they change a little bit. And he starts to say, I want money. And the tree says, I can't give that to you, but you can take my apples and sell them and make money. And then later, I want to build a house for my family. The tree says, I don't have a house, but you can take my branches, and you can use those branches to make that house. When he's older, he says, I want to get away from this place. I want to build a boat. And the tree says, take my trunk, and you can do that too. And finally, as this story comes to a close, the boy has become an old man, and he comes back, and the tree is still happy to see him because it still has that love for him. And it says, I don't have anything left that I even can give you, because you've already got you know, my apples, my branches, my, my trunk, everything. And he says, you know, I'm not looking for anything. I just need a place to rest. And the stump says, you know, it says I can give you that. So come and rest you know, here with me. And it iterates that 
the tree is still happy because they are together. Now, I recognize there's some problems within this story, right? Particularly some, some very modern, you know, sensibilities as we read things and we go, wow, like, maybe that's kind of uh, learning to take advantage of somebody, right? <laughs> or any number of different things. But I also see a lot of beauty in this story because throughout we get to hear that this tree is happy about being around this boy. We get to see this tree loves this boy. And it's because of that that the tree is willing to so freely give of herself and to be sacrificial. Now, I'm not saying we should all go be like trees and cut ourselves down to a stump. But what I am saying is there's a lot that we can learn from hearing a story like this and thinking about what are the ways that we love things around us or love Jesus and how are we willing to be sacrificial in that context. Whenever we talk about giving, we're going to talk about money, everyone's favorite topic to really discuss in church. But uh, I like us to you know, start in the book of Proverbs, because it's a book about wisdom. And there is a lot to be said about money and about really many, many other great things in the book of Proverbs. And three verses that I want to draw our attention to that really discuss money and our relationship with money. The first comes from chapter 3, verse 9, where it reads, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Later in the book, in, in chapter 10, verse 15, we read, The wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. Still later, chapter 18, verse 11, The wealth of the rich is their fortified tower. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. Few thoughts here. My main concern is really asking what control does money have over our lives? And is the way that we use it demonstrating that we honor God or not? Because as we see here, we are commanded to honor God with our money. And that relationship, that interplay for us, how we use money, makes it inherently spiritual. Because it's either going to be something that takes the primary position in our lives or it's going to be secondary and subject to the lordship of Jesus. We also see here Proverbs pointing very directly to this idea of how wealth can become our place of security. It can become this fortified city, this fortified tower, this, this thing that we build for ourselves and say, hey, that's, that's how we're going to be very uh, well taken care of in our own lives. And I would like to put out there the idea that the more that we look to build up our security, the more that we look to uh, take care of our own needs in this way and say it's going to become our city, our, our tower, that no one will be able to scale, is going to prevent us from being overly sacrificial with our resources and with our time, and it's going to keep us from placing ourselves in a position where we need to trust God, because we'll have already built up things that we can trust in instead. Okay? So turn with me now, let's get into our main passage. Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. These are four very short verses, but they're very deep and powerful and just impactful verses. And they read, As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, 
But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Let that sink in for just a moment. And if you're ever looking for strategies on how to read the Bible, how to take more from the Bible, how to really gain things from it, one place I would recommend that you start, or a beginning place, is to just make some observations. As you read a text, just step back and ask yourself, what do you see happening here? So I have a, a few observations I would like to share. The first is that this story is actually about a woman who is a widow. And there's a few really key things about that. One being that Jesus continues to place an emphasis on women. And he's placing an emphasis on someone who is destitute, who has no ability to fix her situation. Being a widow, we'll talk a little bit about that in a couple of slides here. But for the, point, for the time being, it's enough to say she's in a situation where she is uh, destitute. She's not going to be able to really be taken care of in a lot of ways. She has no ability to go about fixing her situation and making things better. So that when she gives all that she has to live on, she's not giving in a modern sensibility where we say, hey, maybe I still have a way to earn and to take care of myself, and I'll give and be overly sacrificial today, but I'll catch up on my next paycheck, if you will. She does not have another paycheck coming. So when she gives it all, she is saying, I am all in. Something else that jumps out to me here is that there is nothing here that sums up this story in a way that we would really like. There's nothing that circles back around to this widow and says, hey, what happened in her situation? Did things you know, get better for her? Did she, by being sacrificial, she gave, and then later on Jesus met up with her and suddenly, wow, like she led this amazingly blessed life and everything was wonderful. It doesn't say that. It doesn't mean it didn't happen, but it means that that's not the main point of the story and that I, I want us to be careful in understanding that this is not a prosperity gospel, that you give and then suddenly God it will just abundantly bless you with riches. Her story may have turned out that way, but that's not what, what this story ends up saying ultimately. And then finally, while she herself is not seeking out any type of recognition for the, what she is doing, she finds it anyways. Right? Like, what better way to be recognized, even if you don't know that you're being recognized, than for Jesus to be the one to see what it is that you are doing and to hold that up as an example to other people of how things really ought to be done. So let's talk a little bit about widows and what's going on in that situation at this current time and historically throughout Israel. Widows were obviously in a place where they, they didn't have a lot of you know, uh, advantage going on in their life. Today, somebody could be a widow. They could still, theoretically, uh, you could be employed. You could still uh, make an earning and, and also take care of yourself. That really wasn't the cultural context of what was happening at this point in time. And so what they could expect is some uh, social kind of a provision for them, and also some religious provision for their situation. And this is because God actually directly puts this into place in a number of ways. And so as we go take a look in the Old Testament, we hear a lot about widows throughout the Old Testament, but a few uh, passages in Deuteronomy in particular will jump out and, and uh, serve to illustrate this. So Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, part of the Torah or the law, to where God is showing his people this is how we should be living in right relationship with one another. 
And so in chapter 10, verse 18, it reads, He, that being God, defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And this is, this is great because it's an explicit statement of God's love for vulnerable people and his tangible care for them. And you'll see that in these passages where it will talk about widows, it also talks about fatherless, so orphans. It talks about foreign people. All people who were vulnerable in some way, shape, or form, and God directly loves them and wants to care for them. And in this case, it's not just a, hey, I love you and I care for you, and then just leaves it at that, but it comes around to something very tangible, something that would be good news for them. Hey, there's food for you. There's clothing for you. Your needs will be met and taken care of. Later in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 24, verse 19, it reads, When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. I like this. It's a specific command for leaving food for vulnerable people. It's followed up in two more verses after this with almost the exact same words, only different types of food are being mentioned. And so that tells me that God is not just making some passing reference, but he's really saying this is an important thing. This is something that I want you all to know and to understand and to lean in on. And it tells me that God has a very specific way of how he's doing this. It's no longer just a statement, I love the vulnerable people, but here's actually a social way that I want you to do this. And it would be easy to go through fields, pick all the food, and then later on go, wow, we missed a section. Or maybe it's been a couple of days and things have ripened up a little bit better. Let me go back and get that. Instead, what God is saying is you are to leave that so that other people who have no opportunity can go and take advantage of this and be cared for and taken care of. In the middle part of Deuteronomy, we get one more verse. It's in chapter 14, verse 28 to 29. It says, at the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your town so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied, and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So this, what this ultimately means is that care for these vulnerable populations is, is being linked together with tithes. And if you haven't been with us, that is where we give the first 10% of our earnings to God. Um, and so it is inherently linked and tied to the religious system, meaning that widows could therefore expect to be taken care of by the religious system that had been put in place. Now, there's plenty of other uh, things in the Old Testament as well. We won't go into those. And there's plenty of references in the New Testament. Um, one, though, that we'll just look at that summarizes, and I think summarizes very well, comes out of the book of James in chapter 1, verse 27, which reads, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So we can conclude by reading these verses. Old Testament, New Testament, God cares about widows, he cares about vulnerable people, he wants them to be taken care of. So why do we belabor that point? Because at Jesus' time, those who are supposed to be being taken care of 
we're actually instead being taken advantage of. And I think that's a hugely significant point for this passage today. So what do we mean by this? So why does Jesus even point out the widow when he does? Well, part of it is linked back to immediately preceding this. At the end of chapter 20 of Luke, in verses 45 to 47, Jesus is going to call out something. And so he says, while all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. So this is the passage that immediately precedes the passage of the widow giving her two coins. And when we you know, bring these two together, what we understand is there is a, a really intentional focus on drawing a distinction here between uh, how it is that God wants us to live. Sacrificial living, caring for those who are vulnerable, and how man often goes about making things. This isn't even a situation of neutrality. It would be one thing, too, if Jesus called them out and said, listen, they have a duty to care for vulnerable people, but they have neglected that. They have focused their attention somewhere else. Maybe they intentionally neglected it. Maybe it was unintentional. But that's not what happens here. Instead, he uses stronger language. They devour their houses. Okay? They are openly going after them. They are consuming them, if you will. Taking already vulnerable people and instead of caring for them, driving them further into a hopeless situation which is not at all the life that God intends for any of us. And so we can conclude a few things about the widow. First is that she is a product of a failed system, which ultimately means that her willingness to be generous and to sacrifice is simply amazing because she already knows that she should be taken care of by this system that isn't taking care of her. And yet, that's not happening and she could have said, you know what, I'm going to withhold until I get a better situation. I'm going to not give to this until they recognize and respect me in a way that they are supposed to. But she doesn't do that. And I think there's probably many generous people in this congregation here. And what I would be willing to bet is that those of us who are generous are probably very willing to give to things that align very well with our values or that we see being successful or that are doing things for us. What I also am willing to bet is that we would have a much harder time doing the same thing for something that doesn't align with us or something that is taking advantage of us or isn't providing meaning for us in the way that it is supposed to. I love this then that the widow does give here because ultimately it means she doesn't say, I'm getting my needs met and therefore I'll give. It's her doing this as a worshipful response to God and saying, I'm doing this because it's what I believe I'm supposed to do. Second thing I can conclude from this, from the widow, is that money doesn't actually lead the focus in her life. She has every right for it to be, by the way. It's probably her most precious asset. Because again, she doesn't have more that's magically coming. There's not, hey, I've got that paycheck that'll show up next week. She has very little, and yet she gives it all away. I don't know if that was a difficult thing for her to do or if it was very easy for her to do, but I do know that she did it. When we contrast this with a, another story Jesus uh, has 
where he interacts with a rich young man. And as he does this, the man asks him, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him to sell your possessions, give to the poor, and then come follow me. And this man walks away sad and doesn't do that. Even though he probably could have done that, he probably had enough skills in his life that if he needed to reacquire some you know, resources, he probably could have done that. But he doesn't. Because it has some level of control in his life. Whereas this widow, she has next to nothing, and yet she freely gives it. And so that tells me also that she has a deep trust in God. And that she's already in a position of needing to depend on God. But she's going to place herself even more in that position and draw herself even closer to God. And that tells me that she's very firmly committed in her walk with God. A couple of thoughts about sacrifice, specifically. <laughs> uh, one is that sacrifice is really where you give up something that you value. And you do this because you regard something else as being more worthy more important. She probably very much valued those coins. They may not have bought her a whole lot, but they probably would have done something for her. But she was willing to say, I'm going to give these up because I value God even more. And I do believe one of the big takeaways for us on this today is that there is something to be learned about learning to give up control. And when we do this, we can surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. Part of being in that right relationships with Jesus. So sacrifice becomes both a giving of ourselves, but also an intentional act where we put ourselves in a position to be led by God. Now it also comes from the Latin, I don't know how to pronounce this, but I think it's sacra and facere, and it means to perform sacred rites. So there's something inherently sacred or inherently spiritual about sacrifice, whether that be with our money, our time, or something else that we highly value, we don't just do it for no reason whatsoever. We do it as a sacred act. It is something that is worshipful. It is something that ties in to our mission. We most notably see this in the Bible, tithes, which I already mentioned, giving the first 10% to God. But there's also this whole system in the Old Testament, especially of offerings, where people are going above and beyond that 10%. They're giving to God for whatever reason. Maybe it's as a thanksgiving offering to God, or maybe it's uh, for you know, any number of different situations. And one thing that I draw from that is this notion that we are not required to give 10% and let it be right at that. Those who want to sacrifice, who want to be uh, additionally generous, can certainly choose to give more. And... What we see with this widow is you don't see her parsing this going, what does 10% mean to a widow with two small, tiny coins? Can I exchange this for an even smaller currency and then I'll parcel out whatever 10% of that looks like? She just puts it all in. She gives it all. And her generosity is, frankly, inspirational to me. A couple of theologians who really challenge my thinking on this, and I hope would challenge yours as well, because... I think they have some uh, beautiful things to say that may be hard to hear sometimes, too. The first comes from a man named A.W. Tozer. If you are familiar with him, he has done a lot of uh, ministry, I believe, in inner city you know, type areas especially. And he writes, a larger income may be considered in either of two ways. Number one, I earn more, therefore I can spend more and enjoy myself better. Number two, I earn more, 
Therefore, I am able to do more good for more people and aid in the evangelization of more tribes and nations. To use increased income to feed the flesh and enjoy greater luxuries is perfectly natural, and that is precisely why it is wrong. It accords with fallen human nature and is of the essence of selfishness and sin. To accept the larger income as a means whereby we may lay up treasures in heaven accords with the teachings of Christ. Every Christian who has this problem to face should prayerfully consider his larger responsibility in the light of his increased ability. I would argue that every Christian faces this on some level. Either because you are currently in a position where you are already employed, you've got a a good stable income, something to where you would say, what am I taking my resources and putting them towards? Am I using this to meet my own needs, my own desires, or am I using this to help build out God's kingdom? And so for those of us who are in that situation, I would encourage us to prayerfully consider that and take this before God. Money is a spiritual matter. God, what do you want me to do with this? You are the Lord of my life. What do you want to see done with this? And that may mean making some adjustments to how you do things now, to what you're accustomed to, to what you're comfortable with. There's also those who may look at that and say, that's great, but I'm not in that situation. Maybe I'm unemployed. Maybe I'm a student. Maybe I literally have no earnings whatsoever. And if that's the case, my encouragement to you is still to take heed of these words. Because the hope is is that you will be in that situation someday. Right? Where you are working towards something, if you are a student, to say, then I'm going to be employed and I'm going to have that, that earning and that stable income. And so the question then for me becomes, how am I going to use my resources when that time comes? I would encourage you to decide now, what do you want your posture towards God and money to look like so that you can then implement it when that time comes? Instead of waiting for when you reach that, that place in life, allocating all of your resources, and then going, ooh, now i got to see if there's a way I can backfill this, change my situation around just a little bit. Another theologian that really, really challenges my thinking, there's a, a man named Ron Sider, and he wrote a book back in the 1970s called Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. Nice provocative title, right? And in this book, he writes, either Jesus and his kingdom matter so much that we are ready to sacrifice everything else, including our possessions, or we are not serious about Jesus. Those are tough words to hear, right? Tough to think about and to ask ourselves, what is that relationship I'm I'm in with money? What is the relationship I'm in with Jesus, which has the primary uh, place in my life right now? Because money is a heart matter, and it will reveal what actually matters to you in your life and to me in my life. And for any of us, we can very simply look at where do you spend your time and where do you spend your money and where, where you see those things being spent, that's where your priorities are. Wherever I spend my time and my money, that's where my priorities are too. And so part of the question then is, what do I want those priorities to look like? What do I want them to be? Is my life in alignment with where I believe it should be? Is it in alignment with where Jesus is calling it to be? 
Or is there an opportunity here for me to prayerfully take this before the Lord and consider ways I might be more sacrificial with myself in order to help meet that mission of God, in order to worship God more fully? Let's return to our widow. Let's go back to our passage and read this one more time, back in Luke 21. Again, it reads, As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. You notice that the size of the gift isn't what impresses Jesus. He's not looking at her and saying, wow, look how much she gave, or yeah, yeah, she gave too, but look at these people giving lots. He's looking at the heart. He's looking at the gift in proportion to the abilities. And that's what really stands out to Jesus here. And so you may be in a place where you think, I don't have a lot. My encouragement to you is don't worry about that. God can see what you do have, what you are capable of giving, what you are capable of sacrificing, the ways you can invest in his kingdom. And he will bless that and he will use that. Second thing I I think about this too is this really demonstrates to me she's all in. She's given up total control to God. And the challenge for each of us is to ask, are we ready to do the same? One more verse I want us to spend a moment with here comes from a letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians church, the church in Corinth. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it reads, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I love that. Giving is cheerful, right? Like that's what God wants. It's not meant to be that he's extracting something from you in a painful process, something difficult that you don't want to do. It's about leaning in and saying, God, I want to follow you. I want to give to this. I want to sacrifice for your mission and for making sure other people get to see who you are and experience the depths of the love that you have for them, just as I've gotten to experience that that love myself. So it's beautiful. So take this before the Lord this week and honestly just say, God, like this is where I'm, I'm choosing to give. This is what I've already decided in my heart to do. I think God will really honor that. Got a few takeaways here. Things that in your notes, if you want to write some stuff down, I'm sure some of you have been writing the whole time. But uh, first is that our relationship with money is spiritual. It's either going to have that primary position in your life where you say, that's what my first thought goes towards there. Or it's going to have a secondary position that says, yes, it may still have a lot of importance, but it is going to be subjected to the lordship of Jesus in this kingdom of right relationships. And I would encourage you to to make sure that it's the second of those, right? That it should not be more important or even on an even playing field with Jesus, but it should be subject to Jesus. Second is that sacrificing is spiritual as well. Most uh, definitely because it will lead us to a place where we have to then depend on God. We have to orient ourselves around the mission of God instead of around the mission of ourselves which is so easy for us to get wrapped up in. It's easy for me to get wrapped up in the mission of myself. 
Third is we really need to decide whose kingdom are we more interested in building. Are we building our own kingdom? One that we will then trust in and become a self-made person? Or are we interested in helping to build out the kingdom of God? Building out Jesus' kingdom and his mission to the world. I have a few questions for us to reflect on. We're going to, in a moment here, enter into our time of response. And as we go through that, we'll put these questions back up on the board so that you can reflect on them and really think about them and spend some time in prayer about them. But the three questions are simply these. Whose kingdom are you building? Second, are you willing to be sacrificial for God's mission? And third, is the way that you use your money, is that bringing you closer to God or is that taking you farther away from him? And the the best thing here is to just be honest with yourself. There is no right or wrong answer. If you are in a place where you can say, I'm in a good position with money, that's great. Spend time in prayer giving thanks to God that he is someone who's so good that you can trust him. If you're in a place where you're not trusting God particularly well with these things, where you're looking to build your own kingdom, where you haven't been sacrificing for God's mission, take that before the Lord too and say, God, I want to be honest with you. That is something I'm struggling with. Can you help me with this? Will you help me with this? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord Jesus, I want to just take a moment to to thank you just for being so good. For being the one true God that there is. And for being a God who loves us so very much. For being someone, Lord, that we can trust. For being someone that we can draw close to, Lord. That we can be part of the mission that you have for the world. That we can worship you, Lord, that we can be sacrificial for you. And we can be sacrificial, Lord, knowing that it's, it's all about you and that you are good and you have our best interests at heart and in mind and that you love us. Lord, I know this is a, a really tough subject. It's a challenge for many of us. And so I just pray that you will be working in our hearts right now, Lord, that you will draw us close by your Holy Spirit, that you will help us, Lord Jesus, to honor you in the ways that we use our finances the ways that we use our time, Lord, and that we would submit this to the Lordship of you and be in right relationship with you in these ways. Bless us now, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.